Today's program has been brought to you by 360 Cookware. Their stainless steel cookware uses vapor technology to cook better tasting, more nutritional food. To learn more and receive 20% off, click their logo on our website, heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, millions of American listeners. This is Patrick Martins. We're broadcasting live on Sunday, January 13th. Is that right? Is it the 13th, Joe? It's the 13th. Nice. You got it. Um, this is an exciting day. We are sponsored by 360 Cookware. They're really awesome to have supported us, and uh, everyone should go and buy 360 Cookware. I mean, you know, at this point, Joe, you know, it's about minimalism. You know, you don't want a ton of crap in your kitchen. So the few things that do exist should be super, super cool. And uh, you know what I mean? You don't need an overwhelming amount of crap in your kitchen. No way. No way. And you just need a few cool things. You know, I think actually one of the things that every American needs is a meat grinder, like in the old days, and 360 cookware, and a mortar and pestle. And, you know, those three basic things are like you're in a sharp knife, of course, and a wooden cutting board. But, uh, you know, 360 cookware, definitely, definitely uh, important. We're going to have an exciting show today. We have uh, Bill Page, who is a musician a heritage breed farmer, and a uh, Hill Country, Texas radio show host on KDRP Community Radio. He does a show called Friday Free For All. Um, So very, very interesting guy that I met at my brother-in-law's wedding. So uh, I am excited. I'm going to the Nets game, Joe. Fifth row. With, uh, you know, we went in on the season tickets with the Roberta's guys, and I am so excited. I feel like a little boy walking down to the fifth row, like a total celebrity, like child in an amusement park slash candy shop. Uh, it is just so much fun. So, uh, who are they, they playing tonight? They play the Indiana Pacers, who are hot. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, very, very exciting. So, um, I, yeah, I'll start off the show. You know, now I'm, uh, you know, I'm writing a book, I got a book deal which I am really excited about. It's not just a stupid book deal. This is, thank you. Thanks, Joe. That's amazing that you know how to do that with your hands. Um, I got a book deal, so it's like really, really cool. And it's going to be, you know, 53-page essays. And uh, so I'm now all of a sudden having to do things like research and put my ideas on paper. So it is a new chapter for me. Um, You know, it kind of coordinates with Heritage Foods, me taking on more responsibilities and taking the reins back of that organization. So I hope that a a side effect is that my radio show gets better. But uh, here is an interesting press release from, um, I think, what is it? It's, uh, It's some, you know, one of these farm blogs. But uh, Purdue Farms and the company's contract grower, Hudson Farm in Berlin, Maryland, did not, they say, pollute the nearby Chesapeake Bay or Pocomoke River or violate the Clean Water Act, according to a federal judge. 
The decision closes a three-year lawsuit filed on March 1st, 2010 by the Waterkeeper Alliance and Robert Kennedy Jr., who is, you know, a friend to the sustainable food movement. He's the head of the Waterkeepers Alliance, the founder. The civil suit was filed against Hudson Farm based on a pile of material on the property that was assumed to be chicken manure, but was instead municipal sewage sludge from Ocean City, Maryland, that was used to fertilize crops. The Maryland Department of the Environment inspected the farm, confirmed the pile was biosolids, asked the Hudsons to move the pile, and the Hudsons complied. Lawyers for the Waterkeeper Alliance then argued manure leaving the poultry houses from ventilation fans and foot traffic polluted a ditch along the farm, which leads to the Pocomoke River. They lost that too, and some... Uh, president of the National Chicken Council, Mike Brown, says, we feel this lawsuit, uh, we feel like this was a lawsuit against all of us, and we are pleased that Judge Nickerson ruled that the Waterkeeper Alliance had not met the standard preponderance of evidence in its argument. So this is a game, Joe. Who do you guess is right? Who do you guess? Do you guess that it is Purdue and the Hudson farm uh you know in berlin maryland or do you believe that the waterkeeper alliance a small nonprofit, is wrong i'm gonna I, go with the waterkeeper alliance on this one yes i think the waterkeeper alliance was right and that they would not have brought a lawsuit against a major chicken farm like purdue unless there was some degree of truth in it and then by the way the other thing is what's up with the chicken farm next to a mountain of municipal sewage That's disgusting. That is disgusting. So, you know, that's an interesting thing. Who's right? And, you know, of course, Sunday is always the morning show. Sometimes I wish I didn't do show on Sunday because I always watch these morning shows. Like, here's another. Who is right? What about some, just some type of gun law? By the way, Mario Cuomo is passing a very aggressive, you know, anti-assault weapon gun law here. Just, you know, that thing happens in, in Connecticut. It's happened in other places. You know, you would think people would come together like they would in Europe and just be like, good Lord, we got to do something. There's got to be a shot back against the bow of guns. Just some type of gun law, not going in and taking people's guns. I mean, that fear is just an insane one. You know, who's right there? I would argue that the, it is right to, you know, entertain the idea of enacting some type of law. Who, but, you know, of course, the gun lobby, no way, can't touch it. So hopefully Biden has some balls. I always like that guy, Joe Biden. He will come up with some type of recommendation to Obama on Tuesday to, you know, come up with some meaningful, symbolic act also to honor all those kids that, you know, something comes from it. You know, when Brady got hit, uh you know, uh, Ronald Reagan's right-hand man, you know, they passed an assault uh, rifle ban. So let's see what happens with uh, with this. I mean, if all those kids dying doesn't lead to anything, something's wrong. So, you know, let's see, guess who's right on that one. Also, uh, I was watching uh, CBS, uh, you know, it's not called Meet the Press, it's the other one. And uh, he was like, you know, in all my years, I'm 70 years old or 80 years old, in all my years, I have never seen every single cabinet post nomination you know people who president obama or you know who gets to choose who's in his government and on his cabinet everyone he's putting in the treasury guy the defense guy every single person he's nominated is being fought against and he's like it's unprecedented in 50 60 years i have never seen every single nominee get fought 
you know, in Congress. Who's right there? You know, uh, and plus John McCain. I used to kind of want to like that guy. That guy's a loser. I mean, he, if anyone deserved ever, uh, you know, a cock punch, I think it would be him. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, at first seemed kind of okay, but he just seems like a pain in the butt. Pain in the butt. So, anyway, that's my uh, political uh, talk. Uh, this, uh, did you hear about Bonnie, the longest tenured Roberta's waiter, uh, did her final shift in the nude? Did you hear that, uh, Oh, Joe? yes. That was big news around here. That was big news everywhere. Did it I- was crazy. I had friends that I hadn't talked to in months call me and say, hey, is that, you know, did that actually happen? I was like... Apparently it did. I wasn't here that day. But. Oh, you missed it. Well, I've seen her naked when she was at the beer um, <clears throat> beer competition. She was also naked for that. But she did her final shift. It was uh, an early shift, like around 9.30 p.m. because they had their staff party, uh, their annual staff party. And she did it in the nude. So, yeah, her butt was everywhere. She was wearing an apron. But, um, you know, I thought that was uh, pretty, pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't happen at, at a lot of restaurants. But uh, we got to have Bonnie come in and talk about that historic final shift. So um, anything else going on? How was the week at the station, Joe? Any uh, major guests or super awesome stories that you heard? Um, a really good show that happened this week that I thought was was just pretty interesting was uh, Helen Hollyman had on uh, this woman named Alana McGee from Seattle who trains... Uh, different breeds of dogs to find North American truffles, like up in Oregon and stuff mm. like that. So mm. that was pretty interesting. It's a it's a side of the, the food world that uh, I feel like we don't get to see that much. Well, yeah, because if you go around people's property with the pig, just walking a pig, people know yeah, they'll, that, that what you're looking for. But if you go with the dog, it, it's not so... Uh, not so telling. Exactly. I didn't know they had. So they do have real truffles here in the States, huh? They do. They do. And apparently they are, uh, you know, just as good as some of the European varieties. Well, that's what they say. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, what uh, Alana had to say was that it was mostly in the harvesting techniques where you lose a lot of the quality in the North American truffles. So they're still not quite as, uh, as you know, pricey or uh, recognized as the European varieties. But she said she believes in them, so... It was it was a pretty cool interview. That is cool. Well, I love dogs. I'm just running running one of my chapters. Pigs are actually equal to intelligence and trainability as dogs. So, pigs and dogs, both uh, compatriots in the search for the ever valuable truffle in Europe and in the North Pacific Northwest. So, um, well, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, this guy is a uh, real. Uh, he does a bunch of stuff. Like I say, he's a musician. He knows all about hill country. He's a farmer. He's involved with uh, farm aid. So, uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back. And we are sponsored by 360 Cookware. <laughs> You're listening to Quitting Time by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org.
Today's program has been brought to you by AmeriCraft. AmeriCraft and 360 Cookware are proud sponsors of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. AmeriCraft is an American company, and like Heritage Radio Network, they provide the best. Their 360 cookware is made of the highest quality ingredients, like United States steel. It is made in the greenest cookware manufacturing plant in the world. AmeriCraft makes great cookware and is focused on improvement. 360 Cookware is their exclusive line. It's a contemporary line of cookware and bakeware intended to let you, the Heritage Radio Network listeners, have a unique cooking experience. Its vapor seal allows food to be cooked in its natural juices, preserving all of the vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients without added water, oils, or fats. 360 Cookware invites you to learn more about how this process works on their website, www.360cookware.com. Every Wednesday at noon, Dorothy Can Hamilton, founder and CEO of the International Culinary Center, interviews the top chefs in the world on Chef Story. Hear from chefs like Christina Tosi. I'm going to be the best pastry cook this restaurant's ever seen. Francis Malman. Cooking with fire, it's very feminine, it's very fragile. And Jacques Pepin. I was invited to work at the White House for John Kennedy. Learn how the greats become great every Wednesday at 12 p.m. on Chef Story heritageradionetwork.org Jack said bakeware Hey, uh, Bill, Paige, are you on the line with us? I'm right here, Patrick. How you doing? Oh, good. Thanks so much for being on, waking up early on a Sunday. No, no problem. Are you kidding? Waking up early on a Sunday? I've been up for uh, about four hours, at least four, four or five hours. That's the farmer in you, not the, music- uh, the musician. Well, tell us about... You got that right. <laughs> Tell us about, I mean, you have very interesting life, and I so enjoyed meeting you, and I was really, the reason I wanted to have you on, uh, you know, besides enjoying our, our, our short time together at the wedding, was uh, I am so fascinated by Hill Country. So let's start off, uh, before we get to your farm and your music life, uh, tell us about KDRP Community Radio and uh, Friday Free For All, your radio show. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, to backtrack a little bit, we, uh, I lived, my wife and I lived in Chicago for 30 years, basically all through the, from 1980 till 2010. And uh, a little bit before that, we decided to uh, change our lifestyle and uh, get out to the country a little bit, maybe do a, a little, uh, uh, a little bit of a bigger scale gardening that we were able to do in our little house in Chicago and maybe even raise some animals. And uh, over time, that developed into uh, buying this property here in the Texas Hill Country, just about 25 miles from down, downtown Austin, uh, straight west. And if you just keep west out of Austin, you hit the Hill Country pretty quickly. Uh, Dripping Springs is considered the gateway to the Hill Country, and then you get out into real uh, hilly land. But we fell in love with this uh, stretch of property here, uh, about three and a half acres, uh, about an hour, about an acre of which is is good pasture, and uh, and we uh, we just fell in love with the property and the hill country. Uh, the hill country vibe is very mellow, and uh, it's beautiful out here, and the weather is great most of the time. So uh, that's some of the those are some of the high points. For sure, for sure. And then, uh, had you been involved in radio? I mean, uh, uh, I, uh, as a kind of well, a sister community spirit, uh, you know, I wanted just to, you know, find out what is the theme of your show. Well, as we were as we were preparing to move down here, uh, KDRP went on the air just a little over three years ago, I think, and so I started listening from Chicago 
to kind of get a sense of what I was going to be moving down to and making my new home. And uh, I had been involved with radio since college. I went to Loyola University in Chicago, was involved with the, the Loyola Radio Conference, which is a pretty famous college radio conference. And uh, even as an adult, I can, you know, with my journalism training, I would help out the local uh, community stations with news writing seminars, and I would guest on various shows for different reasons over time. But I never really had a uh, a weekly show or a monthly show or a regular show on any kind of a station. But when I came down here, I the, the radio station was the first place I went to to volunteer my services, and. They offered me what evolved into the Friday free-for-all, and that was just basically a Friday morning live show from 7 a.m. till 10 a.m. where I could do whatever came across the transom. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, uh, our, our issues were wide and varied. I, I would talk about uh, space exploration, or I would talk about sustainability, or I would interview uh, conservationists or uh, people involved with family farming, but I didn't, I didn't uh, limit it to that. Uh, I had a lot of musicians on the show, uh, a lot of authors. Uh, well, most famously, I, we might have talked about it, I had Gene Logsdon on the mm-hmm. show, and that was one of the most popular uh, shows that I did uh, because uh, people know who he is and respect his uh, his work and uh, got a kick out of hearing him talk because he doesn't really do a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So contextualize a little bit this hill country where you have this radio show. I mean, uh, I read on your website it's uh, the, the the kind of station and, and maybe the the region that you're talking about is uh, runs along Highway 290 from Bastrop and Austin to Lukenbach, which I believe was like in a Merle Haggard song or something like that. So can you explain that part of the world to us? Uh, You know, the food, the culture, the climate, the people? No, I can't. I'm completely (laughs) ill-equipped to explain that uh, the Hill Country culture to you, having only been here for two years. Mm -hmm. Except to to say that uh, it is, uh, it, it is, well... It's just—it's very different from uh, w- what you might imagine. I mean, the pe- the pace is slower. Uh, the f- the uh, what 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 we miss about uh, about a big city like Chicago is uh, is the food diversity. Um, there in Austin, of course, which is a very food oriented town, uh, food trailers are everywhere of and and every imaginable kind of cuisine uh, that you want is available. But uh, it's in general not. You know, not made in uh, in the vast quantities it is by the native culture people, and so you get a different kind of experience. So we do miss the uh, the Asian cuisines and the Indian and the uh, Thai and uh, Korean and Italian even uh, food that we could that we could access at restaurants uh, in Chicago. But beyond that, I mean, they do a great job with barbecue and uh, and all you know and and, uh, and brisket. I mean, you you wouldn't want to come anywhere else and and uh, have better have, have better meat. Uh, we've we're trying, you know, we're raising our own uh, some of our own animals, mm-hmm. but uh, but we obviously can't, you know, we, even with two people, we can't. Uh, fully sustain ourselves. So it's been interesting exploring other sources for uh, uh, small farmer-produced uh, meat that we can support 
here in our local area. And I imagine there's, I mean, I know there's a rich German culture there, right? I mean, uh, we recently had on the uh, uh, the owner of, uh, God, what is the name of the barbecue now? It's escaping my name. Uh, the famous uh, barbecue, Joe, do you remember? It was called... I think uh, it was the Salt, Salt Lake. Lake. Yeah, Salt Lake. Salt Lake, right? Yeah, well, Salt the, there, is a, there is a large German population out here, and as you move further, fret, uh, further west... Uh, toward Fredericksburg, it gets a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, it gets a little bit more uh, Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 KDRP, you know, is, is a you know again, it's a three-year-old radio station, so it's really growing and it's really changing. I started with uh, with a one-day-a-week show, and now I'm on Monday through Friday from three to seven in the afternoons, and I'm sandwiched in between uh, some really fantastic uh, veteran. Uh, radio personalities from Austin and around the rest of the country. Hmm. I come right after Jessie Scott, who was the first female country DJ in the United States. Okay. And she, she created the outlaw uh, country format for XM uh, Sirius Radio hmm. uh, 10, or, 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, in the mornings is Bo Chase, who is a veteran uh, Austin uh, DJ who was most recently on a, on a very popular oldie station. And then after me most nights is Larry Monroe, who was on a big public radio station here in, in Austin for 30 years and is, uh, well, he's, he's called a radio icon. So for me to, to you know, to be doing my, uh, what, what I love, I mean, I've always loved radio. I've been a huge fan. I've, uh, I've got many, many, many friends who are DJs and who have done, you know, various jobs in radio over the years. I've worked with, a, uh, in my jobs as a journalist and as, uh, and, and PR and marketing, uh, over the last 30 years. I've worked with tons of radio producers and TV producers and, and always found what they did fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so, now, so now I'm able to do that, you know, for myself, and uh, and kind of uh, explore different, uh, you know, different uh, people who, you know, if, if someone if someone from the from the sustainable food community or or, or this part of my life uh, comes across that you know that's interesting, I can talk to them. But if uh, you know if a cool musician I love like Thomas Dolby, you know, from She Blinded Me with Science came to Austin last wow. uh, year. For, South by Southwest. That was my so first was tape a- ever. She blinded me with to, science. Wow, that's there awesome. you go. I was able to do a whole hour on my show with with Thomas Dolby and play his music. So that was so it, it really runs the gamut. Before we get to your music and the farm, which I want to talk about because of all the cool heritage breeds. I mean, now one last question about Texas. When I saw, I went to Bill Saxelby's, who uh, we were at uh, his wedding event. That's where we met, and they lit a three-story tall wooden Godzilla on fire. And uh, when the <laughs> fire finally got to the mouth, fireworks shot out of the mouth. That was amazing. Um, but uh, when I went to his graduation, I was amazed at how the president of the university talked so much about Texas. You are a Texas graduate. You're a Texas graduate. You are a proud, uh, you know, college graduate from Texas, Texas, Texas. And, you know, I was thinking about when I went to Vassar and I graduated and, uh, you know, no one was like, you are a proud citizen of the state of New York. You know, it was, it's a very, uh, particular it's, it's yeah what is how do you describe that i mean is it an are they neighborly are they uh uh because they're texans i mean do they view themselves different than the rest of the country i mean can you touch upon that ethos a little bit because it is so different and so particular 
I don't. I don't think they. I don't think Texans view themselves as different from you know other people per se. I just think that. Uh, I just think it's more. In a, it's more of a communal identity spirit. I think. I think they. I think it's about helping. When we moved down here, it wasn't like oh you know why why are you Yankees inviting our invading our space? I mean everybody was genuinely uh, very welcoming, interested in what we were doing, uh, helpful to the point that they could be. And uh, more than more than an antagonistic spirit, I really got from most people a spirit of "Hey, what took you so long?" And mm. and, it, and musically, you know, all I have to do, I, I put some, the thing that puts a big smile on my face is uh, is Lyle Lovett's uh, "All right, you're not, you know, so you're not from Texas. Texas wants you anyway." <laughs> and uh, that's that's a great Lyle Lovett song, and it, it tells my story. It's like you know, you don't you don't wear your boots right, and you don't uh, you don't tuck your shirt in right and your hair and your hat's not uh curled just right but you know that's okay we'll we love we'll you anyway we got. <laughs> <laughs> so now uh back to you know getting to the farm and music and a little bit more about you bill um is there a connection between your farm and your music i mean have you drawn ah. commonalities between the two life uh thrusts for you no, I'm really, well, you know, except for the fact that I'm an extremely amateur person at both endeavors at this moment. So <laughs> I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm still an amateur musician, even though I've, I've had professional experiences and I do get to play with a lot of uh, very skilled and professional people. Um, I, I still feel like I'm learning all the time. And certainly with, with the farming and ranching, uh, the small operation that we've set up here in the last two years, uh, I'm, I'm learning all the time and feel like an amateur. So there's not really that much, there's not really that much crossover between the two. What are the, uh, what are the main uh, musical venues in Hill Country? I mean, everyone thinks about Austin, but you mentioned a bunch of other towns and famous venues, uh, where you play. Um, can you name some of those places for, for our listeners? well, there's there's cer- there's certainly a lot out here. I mean, as the first place you hit leaving Austin is probably the Nutty Brown, and then uh, as you get into as you get into dripping, you go to uh, a couple of different places. There's a new place opening up actually in February, a, a new dance hall, um, and then you can go down to Green. There's a very famous dance hall down in Green. Uh, if you go down to New Braunfels, you'll see, you'll find uh, Whitewater, which is a, a huge uh, outdoor uh, arena. And these kinds of there's there's concerts and festivals. You can go all the way to Luckenbach, which is basically uh, a very small little town, a post office and a bar, basically with uh, with a grandstand, and uh, they'll put uh, you know ten thousand people in there for a Reckless Kelly show. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just. Uh, uh, the music is the music is everywhere all the time, and if you're a music fan, it can be a little bit overwhelming because it, wherever you are seeing music, there's probably four or five other places you think you should be or you might want to be. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, let's get a little bit into the thing where we the subject where we most intersect. You have become a kind of. Uh, a safe haven for some really cool rare breeds. So let's talk about that. Uh, and first, uh, the Gulf Coast sheep. There's only a couple hundred in North America and maybe two thousand worldwide. Um, so talk talk to us about uh, how that breed is uh, interacting with your farm. And and yeah, it's a rare breed. So I'm interested to hear about it. Well, all all of the animals that we have pretty much on the farm are uh, are listed on the American Livestock Breeds uh, Conservancy website. 
Um, you know, it's the ALBC-USA.org, and, uh, and that includes the Gulf Coast sheep. They're listed as critical, and, uh, and they're just... Uh, my wife selected most of the breeds. I mean, I, I deal with the animals on the ground, but she picked them out. And, she, and just to kind of an overarching statement, uh, all the breeds were selected for their, uh, for their temperament and, uh, and their sort of uh, enlist, enlist of importance. Temperament, uh, you know, ability to, to uh, stand the heat down here, uh, disease resistance, and in the sh- in the case of the sheep, um, we haven't had any worming problems, which people say they have with sheep because these sheep are are, are pretty uh, pretty healthy and and uh, and are pretty good. And the reason and the reason they're critical uh, on the critical list or on the on the watch list or whatever is that they're not factory farmed because they're maybe too small for meat production or. Uh, you know, well, that's generally the reason. I mean, for the sheep and our and our Dexter cow, our miniature cow, they're too small for meat production. So the the factory farmers don't really want to uh, continue that. So we selected them to kind of uh, can you know to help continue their existence. Yeah. So the so you have a Dexter cow, a small breed of cow originally from Ireland. Um, you right. Have, um, and then you have this Gulf Coast sheep, uh, which you use for wool and meat. I mean, do you slaughter these animals at the end? Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we've had, well, we've had three, you know, we've had, uh, we've had three lambs born on the farm in the last two years since we started. And, uh, and those we have, uh, you know, put in the freezer uh, for our, to consume ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Thursday this week, we just had two more lambs born. To one of our uh, ewes, and uh, we'll probably get another another one from the uh, from the other ewe before too long. Here is there spring any... lambs? You, they're spring lambs, you know. Yeah. So yes, when when we started, you know, we uh, they said, you know, don't you're not a farmer unless you're using your animals for the four M's, you know, meat, manure, milk, and muscle, mm-hmm. and uh, we don't really use them for muscle too much, but the other three are, is working out, you know, pretty well. Is there a network of small family farms and small slaughterhouses in that part of the country? Has that been a preserved culture, or is it hard to come by? Well, I, I don't know. One of the things I wrote in a little essay that I did before I even started this kind of a, you know, a before snapshot of, of what we were planning to do was that, uh, that we would that while we had these animals, we, rather than do the slaughter and, and ourselves, we would support a local person or a local abattoir to that would also do other small family farms i don't think we're quite there yet in 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 our united states culture or even in the in the texas uh uh rural culture where there's that much small farming and ranching going on in a certain area to support an individual that's just doing that so uh, the short answer is that we just you know we just we found a good butcher that was willing to process our uh, our our meat for us at at a very reasonable price, and and that's who we use. Oh, very good, very good. Yes, they are hard to come by. It's amazing. So um, then you have uh, chickens too uh, that lay your eggs. Uh, the Dorkings is that an endangered breed as well? Uh, the Dorkings are uh, are are listed as threatened, mm-hmm. and uh, they're the the ur chicken. Uh, in civilization, they're five thousand year plus old chicken. The Egyptians used to 
and they're the only five-toed chicken breed or, or uh, the main, the main known five-toed chicken breed. In, in say, I used to say that, and you have to be careful when you use superlatives like all and only, uh, because uh, I used to say that it was the only five-toed chicken. But I've, I've come across a couple of other chicken uh, breed names that escape me at the moment, who have, who are listed as having five toes. So mm. uh, we'll, we'll leave that for now. They're a five-toed chicken, which you don't see very often. Mm. And uh, the Egyptians used to draw them in hieroglyphics on their uh, on their homes. So uh, the Dorkings are, uh, but they're not. Again, they're not. They're not huge layers. They're not super productive, um, but they are beautiful and they are, you know, uh, nice and and have good temperament. And, and that allows us uh, when when there are. Now, with the baby lambs, our, 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 our city dog is a little bit too interested in, in them, as he was in the calf when, when our Dexter cow gave birth to the calf. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to keep him segregated. Other than that, we can have an open campus most of the time where uh, all the animals can kind of mingle around together. Well, that's uh, partly because of your guard dog, and I'm always touched by these awesome guard dogs. There's a whole category of farm dogs, uh, um, but you have a particular, particularly rare one, the Karakachan. Is that am I pronouncing it right? Yeah, Patrick. Thank you so much for not letting me forget our delightful Karakachan uh, guardian dog. They're they're from Bulgaria, mm-hmm. and uh, in uh, in World War II, Hitler, you know tried to have them exterminated because they were message dogs for the uh, Allied troops, mm-hmm. especially the Bulgarian troops. And, and uh, so now they're, they're, about, you know, they're coming back. Uh, I think the last thing I read that there was uh, between 700 and 1,000 um, Karakachans in, in bred you know, right now in the world. So uh, there, he's, he's, he's a big dog, like you know, kind of like a St. Bernard um, but uh, just super gentle with anything or anybody that's not threatening his stock. I mean, he really doesn't get protective except in the case of, of the stock and in, in case of something that's threatening them. So Has that happened like, before, like uh, where he's had to fight off a coyote or something? He hasn't had to fight off anything, you know, but, but the downside is he won't chase off a deer either because... He doesn't see them as a threat, so I have to rely on my on my city dog to chase off the deer because he hates that. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, very very interesting. Uh, it was uh, great to to meet you, and uh, you know, this is CottonwoodCreekFarm.net, uh, which has links uh, to the radio uh, to uh, you know history of these breeds um so very very interesting uh, you've lived in it you've lived both sides of the life you lived the rat race in chicago and then you moved and uh you started to protect all these uh, endangered breeds and uh you know i'd love to you know one day we'll email you we'd love to use one of your songs maybe uh on the station here uh, every now and then so uh Great, great, very interesting, and I really recommend people going down to Hill Country. You know, people always look into Europe and, oh, where could we travel in Central America? But really, right here in our own country, um, Hill Country especially, you know, lies unbelievable culture and history and people and music and culture. So um, there's also a, there's also a really good there's a great wine trail if people are fans of wine. There's you know there's a there's a wine trail that you can pick from 15 to 20 different uh, Texas wineries to 
visit while you're out here. Yeah, Texas has got good wines. That's true. Well, Mr. Page, thanks so much for being on. We hope to have you on again. And um, thanks, yeah, thanks for letting us call in today. Patrick, we really I appreciate it, and uh, and, and good luck. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> thanks very much, and we'll take a break and come back and conclude the show. interesting a little bit of hill country culture so um joe tell me about wild game domain the newest show on the heritage radio network well wild game domain is hosted by chad pagano of uh, ice culinary school um it's it's been really interesting so far um we've just we've aired one episode but it's just another way to uh you know shed some light on hunting which kind of gets a bad bad rep a lot because of uh a lot of the gun control things that we were talking about earlier in the show i don't know if that's true i think hunting should be preserved but by the way you shouldn't uh, have a machine gun while you're trying to hunt the duck exactly anyway so they are separate but uh so what is he talking about like deer and and, uh, moose and uh birds things like that exactly he's gonna you know focus on on deer um, in the beginning, and then talk about you know other kinds of game. We have this nice wild boar head in the studio. It'd be cool to hear him talk about you know going down to Texas, maybe even and shooting some wild boar. That'd yeah, be pretty no, cool. But boars are pretty aggressive. And then yeah. uh, the meatball shop, the famous meatball shop in New York. There's three of them existing, and then two more opening. Uh, they did a pilot. How did that go? It was hysterical. What did they talk about? Well, they talked um, a lot about. Um, just like 
you know, uh, I guess it was cuisine that involves a lot of like, uh, you know, pickled vegetables, like Vietnamese sandwiches, but not uh, from Vietnam, sort of. Um, they had some guests, and then you know they just uh, went off. They're really funny guys, Mike, Mike and D. So um, they were they were having a blast in the studio, and they've only recorded one episode. So hopefully uh, we can uh, hear more from them soon. Yeah, hopefully. Well, um, great show. Uh, thanks so much, Joe, for producing and engineering. That's impressive that you did both. Oh, no problem. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week. We got uh, Steve Jenkins. Uh, We're going to talk all about olive oil, and we're going to taste like 100 olive oils and talk about the 2012 press, which supposedly was one of the most legendary of all time. So um, have a great week, and stay tuned for Straight No Chaser with Katie Kiefer. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.